0: Church, welcome all you folks watching online this morning. Uh, like I said, we uh, we're just a little, little tiny church in Northeast Maryland. Um, you know, we're just we believe everybody's here by appointment. Um, you know, and um, this morning I was thinking about you know we you know we always come to church and we always get these churchy ideas how we're going to connect today. You know, but I, to me, I, I always think about the community of Christ. You know, I think about I'm more concerned about who you are and, and as a people, what you guys do every day. You know, like if I ask you how you're doing, I want to know how you're doing. You know, just don't give me some canned answer. I'm just, I'm doing great. I want to know, I want to know how your kids are doing. I want to know how, how college is going, how school is going. And, you know, I don't want to spend all day talking about it. But, you know, but when I ask you a question, you know, don't give me a canned answer about it. You know?
1: Real answers in a very short and concise manner. Exactly. You know,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm a military guy. One paragraph. I'm good, you know. So.
2: <laughs> so. All right. So
0: you guys ready to worship the Lord today with us and lift it up and sing some, some great, powerful songs and just... You know, I mean, these songs are just you know designed to uh, to bring us closer together and, and bring us to a common goal of the worship. You know, these, these designed to to kind of bring us to a common heart, a common mind, and you know, get us ready to hear the word of God. You know, that's, that's what we're here for. I mean, it's not it's not about us. You know, showing off our talents and gifts. You know, it's just about us coming together and and uh, having a common goal. So let's try it out. I mean, sing, sing along. Sing loud.
2: Hands held high, such small sacrifice, if not joined with my life, sing in vain tonight. May the words I say and the things I do, may my life.
3: My glory and fire, oh, but now I've found the greatest love of all it is mine. Since you laid down your life, the greatest sacrifice,
2: majesty.
1: God, we're here today, um, and there's so much stuff going on in our lives. It seems like a, such a hectic time, but in all things, God, we just um, want to thank you for your your majesty. Just that stuff that, that when everything else in life just seems to be so fleeting and just here for today and gone. Um, even our own lives are here and then just just whisk away. So, God, what's it all matter? What is it all this about? What are we chasing around like rats in a in a maze, trying to find a way out to some prize? And yet, God, when we look when we tight times and look back, we say, what was it all about? It's all about you, God. And so um, during this time together, I, I pray that as we continue our radical series where we're just trying to look at, um, our, we're trying to look at our, our Christian faith, the one we've known and the one we've grown and the one we live in under a magnifying glass and really say, is this really, really, really what this is all about? And so today, God, as we move to radical generosity, may you just teach us something in our hearts that we that may have been pressed down for a long time because we're chasing after everything else instead of just stopping and, and, and being the servant as you are. As we got through the remainder of this time whether, uh, we know that many of our, our young people are going to uh, different Sunday school classes today and they're really excited about all those things and others are we're in, this, we're in the church, we're hanging out somewhere in the same place, but ultimately, whatever it is, we pray that you won't keep us in the same place, God, in our spiritual walk, that you'll, you'll press us, you'll drive us, and you'll cause us to be a church that is unlike any others. Doesn't mean we have to be bigger, doesn't mean we have to be smaller, doesn't mean we have to be more flashy or less flashy. What it means is that we are just to be the church that you call us to be, and may you find us faithful to follow through with that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody else here, greet somebody. Say hi. Everybody else, you can take your kids to Sunday school. And remember, we have the check-in system now. Love to see you take part of that. How are you doing? Any old Seinfeld fans? Hello! All right, there we go. All right. Thank you. Oh, good. We're getting some Okay. Good to see everybody here today. A great day started yesterday. College football, right? And my Mountaineers won, didn't they? Go Mountaineers. All right. So we're happy. We're undefeated so far in the season. Uh, okay. We're glad that you're here today visiting with us. Um, before church, I did a little Facebook online. Um, I'm going to try to do that sometime. So if you're joining us for the first time um, online, we welcome you guys here. We hope you'll, you'll be with us and take us with you. We have an app that you can take us with you. So we want you to go ahead and enjoy that. A bad thing, interesting good bad thing about Facebook is that uh, you get immediate response. So... Um, that was cool to do that for a little bit, but we're glad that everybody he is here as well. Welcome joining us if you're visiting with us today um, here in person. We have a small gift for you. Um, I won't make you get it from the guy with a crab hat out there. I promise. Um, so uh, he's he's just out the door, um, but uh, he's harmless uh, unless you get too close to the pinchers. Um, but he is. Um, we want. We're glad that you're here. That's the one thing. We're glad that you are here and thrilled to celebrate with us on this last big uh, weekend of summer. Um, Last couple nights, I don't know about you, started to feel a little bit autumn, fall-esque, am I right? At 58 degrees at night and start to get that chill in the air and some of the leaves are are going off. So um, we're headed that direction and pretty soon we'll be griping about snow. So um, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, Couple things that we want to touch on, else we want to touch on here today. Um, Radical churchwide study. We are in week five of Radical series. We have one more after this. That we're going to talk about, um, I'll talk about, it. I usually mention at the end of service, um, and we'll talk about exactly what next week and the final week's theme is of our series. It's been a good one, it's been a longer series that we've done, but I think it's, and I just want to share with you something as a portion of my heart, is that it's not just something we'll go through and forget about. I really, really, really pray that this is something that will, will help shape a direction of, of our church, because um, we've got a, good, a really good church as it is, but I think we can always be better right? We can always be better and be more what Christ calls us to do. And even our individual um, faith walks. So those are awesome things that we we want to share. So hopefully, um, I, don't, I usually say hopefully you've enjoyed it. I don't know whether you've enjoyed it. It's been, it's been good. Not everything that God wants to do with us is enjoyable, but some of those things that he brings to us bring a, an intense amount of joy at the end of it all. So, but anyway, it's been really awesome. If you, We still, I think, have a couple of books. If some people want to buy them, like, oh, and then you can go through the um, sermon series and follow along. If you'd like to do that as well online, um, you can check up on some of those as well. All right, um, so we, we're on that. Keep praying for the radical study. Haven Youth Group starts Tuesday, right? 2 they're excited, ready to go. They're very excited. And it'll be here at 6.30 to 8.30. Um, Be here and have a great time. If you have any other questions, you can contact uh, Teresa Musol, and also you can uh, email at youth at havencc.org, and they'll meet right here. Um, It is new uh, Sunday school registration, new classes, so you can see the new check-in stations that are out there. Um, My my daughter gave me this thing here, which shows that I'm the guardian. I'm selling her now if anybody wants it. so but um, you, can, you can have those. We have those as part of safety, but also just to, to make sure that everything's taken care of and everything's done well, and we can be able to track people um, and other things. Hey, Lincoln. Um, so we have those and new classes today, which my daughter Hannah is thrilled. She gets to go to middle school. And so we'll pray for the middle school teachers as part of our prayer request today. Um, uh, emer- supplies for emergency rotating shelter, is that due next week? Okay, is there several items still need to be filled in? Okay, so you just can't bring them. You see the items here, but if you would, if you want to take those, if you want to um, contribute to those after church, Joanne will be out there, correct, right outside on this side, and she's at the table. I'll check and see what's needed. Fill them out. And, um, and also, if you're online and you can't get here, you can contact uh, Joanne um, as well, or you can contact info at havencc.org, and we'll make sure it gets, uh, it gets to Joanne as well. All right, Parish Foundation, our next week is September 18th. More opportunities. All right. More opportunities to serve at Paris Foundation. It's an awesome opportunity. I'm um, just real quick. How many have ever done anything or been involved with Paris Foundation at all? Awesome, right? You get, you get more than you give. You definitely do. So I challenge you to go ahead with that and the rotating shelter as our week is January 9th for the rotating shelter. Paris Foundation is the 18th. They can warm you up on Paris Foundation. You'll be ready to do an overnight. Did you like that, Joanne? An overnight on the rotating shelter. So there's awesome ways to give. And today we are going to talk about generosity. One of the coolest things about talking about uh, radical generosity is today the Pope just announced that Mother Teresa 20 years after her death has been made a saint by the Catholic Church, and there are few people that have ever lived since the life of Christ under the, under the Spirit of Christ that has been more generous in giving than that woman. And so I think it's so fitting that God's putting that all together here today. Um, so we're thankful for those things. Also, um, Michelle Chenoweth, I um, lifted this up last week at Kathy's Corner Shop. Uh, Saturday, September 10th, 1 to 3, she writes a lot of um, Christian fiction, so you can meet her down there if you would like to, and there also are some, I think, uh, handouts out there if you would like to check those out as well. I see we have a um, newlyweds, right, Becky and Chase, there they are, raise your hand, I know they're loving us right now, newlyweds, married, um, and they're still sitting next to each other, so they're happy newlyweds, that's good. I remember when Melissa and I went on our honeymoon, it was, we left, we went on a plane from Miami to Grand Cayman, and everybody was sitting right next to each other, so you knew they were newlyweds. If they've been married for a while, they're like, oh, extra seats, right? (laughs) So that's the difference, but we hope that you guys always sit next to each other, even if the plane is empty. (laughs) So we're glad that you're, um, and we're going to celebrate that with you, so we're going to lift that up as a praise. Um, Bobby Burke is lifted up for prayers for Bill and Catherine Reeves, who you talk about sitting next to each other. They still are in church, and there's a gap seat, and they're celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary on September 1st there they are right there. So right across the aisle from the newlyweds, that's where we plan it. They'll talk to you after church, okay? Um, Dawn Miller would like prayers for the Kennedy family, especially for Aaron, Krista, and Haley, as their mother recently lost her, their, her battle with cancer. So we want to lift that family up in your prayers. Um, Rodney and Jane, um, Dot is going to have a knee replacement. She's going to have it. I talked to her the other day. she wasn't sure. So dot is going to have a knee replacement. Um, and how old's dot now? 91. 91. She wants to be able to run some more. So um, Dot is having a knee replacement. Lift her in your prayers this Wednesday as she will have her, her knee replaced and pray for anybody who's um, giving care and other things like that. Um, Dot's, Dot's tough, but I know when she's not out there wanting to cut her grass that it's bothering her a lot because so, she's usually out there. So we want to lift her in your prayers as well. All right. Do we have anybody else to add to prayers? I know there's one more thing I want to lift up for prayer requests. Yes. 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 Right. Okay, Bill Sloniker and family, pastor of Bible Fellowship. Bible Fellowship in Newark. His wife died very suddenly this week, so we want to lift her up in your prayers as well. And one of the things that we weren't able to do last week due to time, we had a lot of stuff going on last week, right? Um, so, but I want to make sure we do that. And um, for those, of, uh, those who are involved with, as a teacher, in education, as a parent or anything, if you were here, would you just kind of stand up where you are? Um, any teachers or administrators or anything else? All right, so we have several that are here. Um, and so, um, and anybody involved in office and everything else. And so what I want to do, I just want to lift them up in prayer right now as part of the, of the prayer that we have. And um, you can sit down. I won't, I won't force you to stand. So, all right. So, Lord God, we just want to come to you now. And as we lift up these prayers, um, and as we move now to the, to the part of our offering. Um, but God, when, right now what we want to do is um, we want to lift up all the many blessings that you've given to us. I want to thank you for a church family that loves you and seeks you and just wants to be connected to you and to your Holy Spirit. And so, God, as we are in this series, Radical in Generosity, um, today, as we look at this, I want to thank you for all the people who have taken time to be generous to me in my life when I don't even deserve it. And so, um, thank you for them. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. For all the things that we've lifted up today and the prayer concerns for um, joys of weddings and newlyweds and 60 years of, of being married, um, for those who have extreme loss in their family, um, sudden deaths, um, deaths that have gone on due to um, diseases like cancer and other things, um, God, we just ask that your healing and your, your wholeness and your presence be there to fill the void that's left by these, by these, um, these losses. For those who um, are going to have surgery like our very own Dot Logan, um, 91 years young, God, and going ahead and getting a, uh, a knee replacement. And we just pray that everything will go perfectly well and that um, Dot will be up again, not only here with us, but out there cutting the grass and doing all the things that she wants to do. And God, for so many other things that we have here. We have um, for our teachers and our education system, we know that this was the week where Everybody goes back and some go back with a groan, some go back with joy and somewhere in the midst of the year, there's a little bit of all those things. But God, I pray for the ones that we have represented in our church and our church family, those who may be watching online, that God, you um, you may instill them with a strength and a wisdom that goes far beyond just what they know and the knowledge that they impart to our students, but one that just carries the wisdom and the spirit of God. I thank you for them. I thank you for them giving of their lives and their time to, to, uh, to serve um, those who, uh, who need knowledge. But ultimately, we know today it's not just about teaching them things. It's about teaching them about life and being there for them. For some of these teachers, I realize they will come in t- contact with some young people that that may be the only source of a positive influence that they have in their lives, may be the only source of ever understanding what love is and care is. And so God... Um, Just send your hedge of protection upon them and give them strength for the year ahead. For our our ministries that we've set forth, that we gave an announcement, but God, we often we forget to pray for them, to pray for our, our rotating shelter. We've always come through, and the people here have always come through out of their generous, loving heart. And God, we know that it's an awesome ministry, and I pray that you will fill it. For those who are involved with parish ministry, the ongoing parish ministry. I thank you for that. I thank you for just our heart for the least of these to serve them. And God, for the direction that you're taking our church, building upon the foundation that we've laid for these several years, but God, expanding it, not for our glory or for our testimony but for yours to do what you have called us to do not only in this immediate area but all around the world and I'm not just saying speak but all around the world that God your influence will be heard when we become completely radically sold out to you for these and all things God I give you praise as now we give back a portion of that blessing that you've given to us I ask for your anointing and Holy Spirit to be upon the generosity of the people here who give an offering above and beyond the tithe that is required by your word God, your, your word is very clear that you love a cheerful giver. And let's experience that in the generosity of our hearts, and that you may anoint it and multiply it here and around the world. In Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen.
0: If you feel led, um, just stand up and let's sing the song together.
2: to fear, and grace my fears relieved, how precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed, my chains are gone, I've been sent. my savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy Amazing grace, unending love, amazing.
4: Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, titled The Rich Man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be con- convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The mantra of the American dream
3: is to advance yourself. With hard work, ingenuity, innovation, you can have it all. frightening reality of the gospel. Jesus does call us to give up everything we have. If we're going to live for the sake of 4.5 billion lost people and thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who are dying every day because they don't have food on their table then that means radical change
0: in our lives and our families church. Church we are plan A and there is no plan B.
1: Hello, there I am. All right, it's me flicking buttons. You want to drive a sound person crazy? Just keep flicking the buttons yourself. And then he's like, just stop flicking the buttons. Jack. I got, I got the Andy look. He knew I was flicking the buttons, wasn't I, Andy? Yep, see, there we go. All right. How you doing? Good. It's getting to be fall. Hold on, have a good, have a good, um, I know um, that Melissa and the family came in with apples and cider donuts, and so that's how you know it's fall, right? So, I made the trip to Milburn's yesterday, so all that kind of good stuff. Well, it's good to see everybody. We are in uh, week five of this, which is a, a fairly, as I mentioned, a fairly long series from what we usually do here um, at church. Uh, a lot of times we usually do about four at the most or something in there. But this one just really, um, really, really uh, put it together. It's based on the book Radical. Um, and uh, taking your faith back from the American dream. And it's, um, it's interesting. It's very interesting, and it's really kind of like sparked some things in me. Not Once again, I want to say I don't take everything of it and think it's Scripture, and by absolutely everything, there's things that we wrestle with, and that's a good thing. So if you look at this and say, that's what the church is? Oh, they're crazy. Um, yes, we are, but that's okay. Um, I want you to go ahead and double-check and look at this and really wrestle with this and find out where God is taking you. And that's one of the things that we really, really wanted to go ahead and, and do. So over the last several weeks, we've been doing a, a lot of different things. The week one, we looked at radical gospel demands, which was kind of like an overarching flow of everything. What, what radically does the gospel demand of us, the, the message of Christ? And then we've looked at radical sacrifice, radical grace. And then one of my, one of my favorite weeks was radical, you remember the term? Splagnizomide, there we go, which means what? Compassion is how we translate it, but it's from the innards, that you're moved from the innards, and it doesn't mean that you ate bad food. Last week, we talked about a radical urgency for the gospel and and for people in this world. And this week, we're going to talk about, I already told you about radical generosity, um, radical generosity. And we're going to look at today what the Bible has to say about radical generosity, and I will tell you that at points, it won't be very comfortable for us if you're like me. Some of you may be in awesome shape and it's going to be like, Psh, do that. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. I'm good. I'm great. For me, it, it was really, I really wrestled with a lot of things and looked at a lot of parts of my life. And so in Proverbs chapter 11, um, Verse 24, and there'll be several scriptures I'll mention today that aren't in your bulletin and that aren't on the screen. Those of you who've been here before know I usually try to put all those up there, but there's a lot of scripture I'm going through. And you know why pastors put a lot of sermons, a lot of scriptures in certain weeks? because something we're really trying to convince ourselves that we really need to do, and we're struggling with it, okay? So pay attention to what a pastor writes up on the screen. You'll be like, oh, Jack's struggling with that this week. Okay, gotcha, in sermon preparation. But in order to really, really focus on what God wants us to do. Proverbs eleven twenty four said, The world of generous gets larger and larger. This is from the message version. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That doesn't seem to make sense in our world, does it? When we look in our world, we often see those suckers who are stingy seem to have more and more and more. And those of us who are giving seem to have less and less and less. What he's saying here is when I'm generous, it enlarges my heart. It enlarges my perspective. It enlarges my impact. And when it does those first three things, it begins to enlarge my influence. In other words, I have to have my heart enlarged and my perspective enlarged and my impact enlarged before I can have any larger influence. He's not talking just about money here, and I want you to keep that in your mind throughout this sermon. The message contains, yes, stuff, but generosity is much more than financial giving. Money is, yes, a portion and a part of your life and generosity, but God wants you to learn, wants all of us to learn to live generously, and to make it a lifestyle, and to make it a lifestyle. Real quick, I just looked, and I also, there is, if anybody wants to go, you can stay here, whatever, but I do know there's a high school class today, and I think some of them went, so I wanted to let people know if they want to go, or else Janet will yell at me after church, okay? So, but basically, God wants us to live out a lifestyle of generosity. So God wants you and I to learn to live that way. When you look at at What the Bible says about living generously, we're to live generously with our time. And, and if you, if you uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do like a, a verbal checklist here, okay? Help me out here. So when I mention something, so I say generous with our time. If you're generous with your time, go woo. If you're a little stingy with your time, go uh. All right? So here we go. Let's try this out the first time. We're generous with our time. No uhs. Okay, well, do it at the same time. I want, woo at the same time, okay? We want to hear who's, who's, that. okay, one more time. Generous with our time. All right, we're generous with our praise. We're generous with our sympathy. We're generous with our forgiveness. Ah, there we go. I knew it was coming, here it is. All right, here we go. We're generous with our love. We're generous with our compliments. We're generous with our kindness. Oh, come on! I've seen you guys in Walmart. Don't lie. All right. I've seen you driving. All right, um, we are generous with our attention. We pay attention to the needs of people. We're generous with our attention. All right. Here we go. We are generous in listening. Uh, okay. So so far, forgiveness and listening, and we are generous with our giving. We'll see if you woo at the end of the sermon today. Generosity is about living a life that is unselfish. It's about living a life where you're not a giver. I mean, you're a giver, not a taker in every area of your life. It's a radical place. And ultimately, that's where I want to be. I want to be known as somebody who was a giver, somebody who was generous in, in everything that I had. But more importantly than where I want to be, it's where I believe God wants us to be fully and wants us to be. So there are several things that I want to do today. I'm going to roll on this. I want to define, according to the Bible, what radical generosity is opposed to normal generosity. So radical generosity opposed to normal generosity. I also want to talk about what Andy read for us, this account or parable, and a parable is a story that Jesus tells to convey something. But I'm also going to argue just a little bit that this is a a real personal account given by Jesus. Okay, I can't. You can't take it to the bank and bet bet it on the wheel. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit about that, and then he's gonna tell us about generosity or lack thereof in this. And then I want to give you five amazing results. I found like, I sound like I'm, I'm on an infomercial. I'm gonna give you five amazing results of generosity. Just five. Tell them: one, two, three, five results. And you're like, all right. So if this doesn't work out, I, I can sell like cleaning products, I guess. All right. So, and and the reason why I want to share them is because I really believe, really, really believe that these things can transform our life, our church, and more importantly, what the church's existence is for, the world, if we really, really embrace where God is calling us. So, what is radical generosity? What is radical generosity? Radical generosity. And we're going to, we're going to dance around the two primary scriptures. One is going to be Luke Chapter 16, that was shared with us. Another one, you can stick your finger, a, a pamphlet, a book, a paper, one of those little tat, those little, like, if you really got the old school Bibles, the little ribbon thing. How many wanted, like, five of those little ribbon things when you were younger? Okay. You can stick one of those in there um, on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We'll be there, too. Second the Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are classic passages, about the generous lifestyle. So let me start with a definition. Radical generosity is an attitude, not an amount. Radical generosity is an attitude, not an amount. How many of you see, how many of you would bet right now or say that in our world today, more people are generous than they are rude? How many would say more people are generous in in our world? In our community, in our car, in our house, in our wherever, wherever, right? How many people say more people are rude that you come across? Okay. Why is that? Why is that? So again, we're not talking about just natural generosity, but radical generosity. And I think in this way, they're very similar. Because in natural generosity, it is an attitude. Some people just have attitudes in life. Um, I I knew somebody from the West Coast who came here and lived for a while, and they said, everybody here seems like they got a chip on their shoulder, right? And then we would say to him, yeah, but you're a diva. You know, it was like this kind of attitude that that certain parts of the country, people just feel like they they have something. So we wonder about generosity. And it's like, have you ever been to the, the emissions inspection place? Don't you feel like a little kid going to the principal's office? Because if you're like me, you want some, you've called about five times because you keep forgetting to take it there. Anybody ever done that? And so you get in line, and you're standing there, and you feel like you're going to get in trouble. And they're so serious. If if you work there, I'm I'm sorry, I know it's part of the job, but it's like really serious. I'm almost scared. And you pull up, and they're like, turn off your ignition. I'm like, yes. I turn it off. Get out of your car. Yes. And you're like, "You're, you're ready to be like searched or whatever. You know, there's certain things like that way, and they get in, they're like, okay, bye. And you're like. Not a have a nice day. What did I do? You know, you're feeling kind of like just scared to death in these kind of things like that. Um, let's look at what it says uh, about radical generosity, about it being an attitude. In Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse twelve, it says, "If you're really eager to give, that's an attitude. If you're really eager to give, it isn't important how much you are able to give." Everybody say, whew. "You know, we get so caught up in the amount of people giving." And the amount of people give. And throughout Scripture, and according to Jesus, like the woman who gave all she had, and she gave it in, and it was real little. It wasn't even like half a penny. And they were looking at her like, really? And Jesus said, she gave more than anything, because she gave out of her what she didn't have. She gave so much more. When many people are giving these big amounts, he's saying it's not about that. It's about the attitude of giving. It's, it isn't important how much you're able to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you don't have. The main areas of challenges to generosity is our attitude, both good and bad. And so many people end up with the wrong, tude, the wrong attitude. As we look in this verse from chapter 16 of Luke, we find some people who have been living, we find a man who had been living by the wrong attitude. Now, we're obviously going to place some finances in here because it's a big part of it. But I'm also going to argue that this man had lived with the wrong generosity in every area of his life. And so go with me once again to Luke chapter 16, where we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. And so what we have here, we have a rich man. How's he dressed? In purple. What's that mean? He's very, very rich because purple was the most expensive dye to make. And, and those who had it were either kings or had lots of money. There's a lady in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that she was a dealer in fine linen and purple. So that meant that she's not Barney. It meant that she, she was wealthy. So she had some wealth to her. So this man has some wealth. He's known to us as the who? Rich man. So here is the rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a beggar whose name is what? His name is Lazarus. And Lazarus sits there. Not the same Lazarus, a different one. And that one of the reasons why I want to argue this is because in every parable, Jesus never tells the name of someone. And this time he does. And there's some importance about that. Listen to how he, he, he begged and he would beg and get some of the crumbs From the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So now, if we have a choice to live as Lazarus or the rich man, who are we picking? If anybody picks Lazarus, we'll talk. But I want the rich man, I want purple, I want linen, I want to be good, I wanna, I wanna have some some good good living and other things. So the time came, Lazarus died, the beggar, and the rich man died also. The, The beggar ends up, Lazarus ends up where? By Father Abraham's side, the rich man ends up where? Hades, okay, he ends up there. So they're across this big chasm and they start to yell at each other, hey, Father Abraham, have pity on me, I'm in a place of torment. You will see four or five times in this verse the the term torment. It's not a nice place. Please send Lazarus, now keep in mind, mind, the man Lazarus laid outside this man's gate while this man lived in purple and fine linens and great wealth. He walked by him because that's how you get in and out, through the gate. Every single day. And the only way the man would take care of him was if he got crumbs from the table, what he swept off into the floor, and he had dogs take care of his physical needs. So we have a man named Lazarus who is suffering from physical ailments. He's ostracized from society. He's begging just to get crumbs to survive. You got the rich man who's not, and here we have the rules that now are reversed in eternity. You have the uh, Lazarus, who is by the side of Abraham, in a good place. You have the rich man, who is in a really bad place. Okay? Now, we're not going to get into the theology, but for argument's sake, we'll call it hell today or Hades. All right? Just bear with me. Okay? So he's in AG double hockey sticks. Everybody got that. So here's the story, and as we look at this story, I want to share with you a divine contrast as we embrace this story because now the rich man needs something from Lazarus. Please can you just send him this guy who was covered with sores who I paid no attention to in my life, who I completely ignored and existed if he didn't live, send him to dip his sore-infested finger to me. That's how tormented he is now to just get a drop of water. So what we have here to start the story off is we have a divine contrast. We have a divine contrast here in this parable. This man, we get the rich man's name Lazarus and it's the, as I mentioned, it's the only parable where a person's name is mentioned. And I believe it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, I personally believe this is a, an account of what Christ is sharing between the afterlife. The other thing I believe is that He's naming him Lazarus because the name Lazarus means one who God helps, or God is my helper. And it helps us, number one, to recognize that's who Lazarus depended on, and number two, it recognizes us that I think we need God's help to guard us against some serious things. Now, I want to share something very important at this, and I need everybody to make sure you listen, because you'll get this mixed up if you look at it this way. This is not a message and the scripture is not saying if you have material possessions you're busting hell wide open. No, 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 no. That is totally not what the scripture is saying. Or if you have wealth you automatically go to hell. Scripture is not is not teaching that. But the scripture does share with us and it's passionate about that God is ca- passionate about caring to and the compassion for the needs of the poor and that he is their helper. God is their helper. And that's the picture of the poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, sitting at a gate, eating scraps that he can take up, having dogs lick his sore. And even though the rich man is not helping him, God is his helper ultimately. This kind of ideology of God helping is all throughout the scripture. It's all over the book of Luke as well. You can see many places Jesus concerned for the poor. We can look in 1 Samuel verse 2, chapter 8. Where it says, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit the throne of honor. In some countries, if you're poor, it's because you're born into that. You're never going to be able to get out of it. You just deal with it until you die. And hopefully you'll come back in something at another uh, level. In Job 34, 28, it says, they caused the cry of the poor to come before me so that I heard the cry of the needy. He hears the cry of the poor. He does not turn a deaf ear to the poor. In Psalm 22, the poor will eat and be satisfied. In other words, they're neglected by the world, but God promises, I will feed you. You will be fed and satisfied. In Psalm 140, verse 12, God secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. What we see here is a picture all over Scripture. That God is known for a God who the poor matter to him and he cares about them and wants to take care of them. We can look at Luke 4, and you can just jot these down. But in Luke 4, at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he opens up the scroll and it's no mistake, he turns to the prophet Isaiah. And this is his introduction to people. Here we go. I'm introducing myself and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the who? The poor. In other words, Jesus' introduction is saying, I want to share with you, I am defined by the fact that I preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then we go to verse to Luke 6. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. In Luke chapter seven, they go to him and say, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that John the Baptist has told us, uh, John the Baptist wants to know, are you the one that we should be looking for? Are you that person? Is that the one that we should be looking for? And Jesus goes, tell them that this, the lame walk, the blind see, and that the poor, that he came to, to tell the poor about good news. That is part of his messianic connection that exists there. So here's the contrast. God Responds to the needs of the poor with splagnizami or compassion. But God responds to those who neglect the poor with condemnation. And this is where it started to touch a little bit closer to home to Jack Cohen this week. What do we know from reading Luke chapter 16? We know this man was extremely well off. But what's the reason why he's in hell? It's not because he had money. Money itself and possessions are not inherently evil. One of the most misquoted verses of Scripture ever is money is the root of all evil. That is wrong. It is the lust or the desire of money is the root of all evil because you will do anything to get it. What we're seeing is we're seeing a man who used his money to indulge himself and to care about no one else, particularly the man right outside his gate. Scripture tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His heart was not for the man. Remember what I said the other week? God is about in the people business. Jesus is concerned about people, not about stuff. As we look at this verse of Scripture, one of the things that started to play to me and started to, to depress on me as i quoted week after week these astronomical numbers that over half the world lives on less than $2 a day and over, and over 1.2 billion live on less than a dollar a day is the fact that Jack Cohen is the rich man. I am the rich man. This is the only time you ever hear me say this in society. I am the rich man. But when I look at the greater world, guess what? I am the rich man. Because as I look in this, I have some of the great finer things in life. For, for a matter of fact... And it's okay to have those blessings. But if I love them more than the condition of 4.0 4. billion people in the world, then I've got a problem with Jack. Because after I leave here, and as we leave here today, in our parking lot right now, there are hundreds of thousands of, ca- of dollars in cars. We will leave here and we will go partake in, in thousands and thousands of dollars of food. And we will go to our millions of dollars of homes that we have. And meanwhile, right outside our gate, here and around the world, are plenty of Lazarus. Sorry, it's an English person to me. There's lazarus everywhere, outside my gate, as I drive by them in my car, as I go into my house. If I look in the area around me, I realize there are people within our own community that have no plumbing, no kitchen, no scraps for food. If you want to see it, go serve in the Paris Foundation. If you want to see it, go to a rotating shelter. If you want to see it, go to a local store and look around you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can tell you that some of those are, there's many sociological reasons for that. But the fact is it still exists outside of our gates. And as I read Scripture, Jesus doesn't say, I'm here for the poor, except those who have done this in their life, except for those who made bad choices, except for those who did this. He said, they're outside the gate. I don't know what Lazarus did. I don't know why he's got all the sores. All I know is God cares about him, and the rich man doesn't. Now, don't worry today. I'm not going to talk about in the world that that. That I've been quoting for the last several weeks, I'm not going to share with you for the fact that since we've been here today, that 1,000 children under the age of five have died. I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to even begin to go share that by the end of the day, something I've shared the last couple weeks, I'm not going to share because you've heard it already, that 30,000 children under the age of five are going to die from not having food or from preventable diseases. I'm not going to share that because you've heard it and you'll get numb to it. I promise I won't share it. The reality of this is, if our children were those 30,000, they would all be dead by the end of today. We cannot ignore these realities that we are throwing scraps to the poor outside of our gate, and millions of them are powerless and silent, and we act as if they don't even exist in our world. Because the God of the Bible cares for the poor, and he condemns those who neglect it and neglect them. It's all over scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse seven, it's printed in your Bible, I mean your bulletin. If there is a poor man, um, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your brother, rather be what? Open-handed and what? Freely lend him whatever he needs. These are startling words that we're gonna see. He says in verse 10 and 11, it says, "'Give generously to him and do without a grudging heart.' Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. There, there will always be poor in the, in the land. And I gotta tell you, when people hear that, they're always gonna be poor. We use it as an excuse not to give. But God says give, and then he says, they're always gonna be poor in there, but therefore I do what? Command you. It's a command from God. I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor. This is a command from God. This is something that God commands us. So now we fast forward a little bit to Isaiah 3. I'm not going to share with all these. Isaiah 3 says, the Lord takes his place in the court. He rises to the judge of the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and the leaders of his people. It is you who, he says, it is you who have ruined my, my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. The poor outside are indulging and they need, but you're keeping it to yourself. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. That leapt out to me. By the amount of stuff, I started cleaning out a section of a closet in the basement because I had a leak in my pipe this week. I started cleaning out. And you know how much crap I found that was important to me at one point that I spent money on that doesn't matter a hill of beans now? What about this? Anybody remember Sodom and Gomorrah? you ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? Many of us... Have, been, have had passed to us for years and years and years and years. The reason why God wiped that out was because of social and sexual sin. But let me share with you what Ezekiel says here. He didn't say anything else about that. He says this. In Ezekiel 16, 48, he talks about Sodom. He says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you and your daughters have done. In other words, you're doing worse than that. Worse than Sodom. In verse 49, he says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and ready for this one. They did not help the poor and the needy. We don't hear that when it comes to Sodom, do we? Sodomy doesn't mean that we ignore the poor, does it? It means something that we want to gear our social gears against and make political, but we aren't making political and we're not reaching out to those where God said, this is a sin, you're worse than Sodom because you ignore Lazarus outside your gate. Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? That hurts a lot. And yet when we point the finger in all areas of culture, what God is saying, if you're not doing this, you need to point it back at yourself. It goes on into Amos chapter 2 and Amos chapter 4, Amos chapter 8, and in Luke 6. He once again said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. But woe to you who who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. What we see here in the scripture is a hard teaching that when when God looks upon the poor, it infuriates him. And he brings condemnation on those who ignore them. So we have that first thing. It's a warning to us, I believe, in this verse. It's a warning to us. Last week we were talking about those 4.9 that may be busting hell wide open. But I got to wrestle with the scripture. Is this what Jesus means by those who say, Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you, because we've neglected this as a universal church. So we have a divine contrast, but we also have an eternal um, consequence that exists here. There's kind of a reverse thing going on. What we have here, it tells us if we indulge ourselves and neglect the poor, don't miss it, the earth will be our heaven. In other words, what I just said, he says simply this, that if you go, that basically, if you become self absorbed and neglect the poor in the world, earth will be your heaven and eternity will be your hell. In Matthew chapter 6, it says, If you want a man's praise as your reward, you'll get it, but that's all you'll get. Enjoy it now because that's it. Four times in Luke 16, I mentioned to you that he mentions the word torment. And look at this in in verses 22 and 23. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man was also died and buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away by his side. And so what happens, there comes a day when neglect of the poor and indulging themselves will no longer be forgiven but be punished. So you may say right now, this is where we all kind of get a little bit nervous. I did writing this down. Well, are you saying my salvation is dependent on how much I give? No, not at all. It's absolutely not, not that. You may say, Jack, I am a sinner saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Yes. But in the, in, the, in the book of James, he says faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. And he goes on to say that we, we should give and take care of the poor. In every movement of God, there is a movement that takes care of the poor. Every movement of God, the early church came together, put their money together, and took it to do what? To serve who? The poor, to serve the widows. It was that, if you look at it this way, it's God's hands and feet saying, I need to meet the needs of the world. And when we look at those numbers, they've gotten so big, we don't know how we can begin to make those connections, but we do, we can. And what these things lead to is number three, a clear choice. So we have to make a, excuse me, a consequential choice. A consequential choice. There are two choices that we have here. We can continue in the pattern that we've done and neglect those who are less off. It's an option that we have. It's an option that the hearers in um, chapter 16 had. And it's before us here today in this room. It is the choice that the rich man had in the story. Notice how the rich man called out. The rich man called out, and what did he call Abraham? What? Father. Father Abraham. What that tells me is that he believed that he was a believer. He believed that he was connected to God. He probably did some good things. He probably attended synagogue occasionally. He probably went ahead and, and read good things written by great rabbis. He may have been religious in all nature. When he checked the box, I'm sure he said he was Jewish at the time. He thought everything was okay, but in many ways, he was deceived by the call of God to ignore the need and the plight of those in the world, and he left himself vulnerable, caring only about himself. So our one choice is to continue to ignore, or another choice is this, to repent and care for the poor, because as I read the scripture, caring for the poor is not an option. It's an evidence of our salvation, and if you don't believe me, let's look at this in Luke chapter 19. There's a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a what? How'd you like to go down in history being known as a wee little man, okay? So Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And um, poor guy. Um, so he, he was a wealthy tax collector and a tax collector was a crook. They ro- ripped off people. If you, were, if you were the chief tax collector as he's, he was, you were a biggest crook. So this continued to happen, continued to happen. He was getting a lot of grief and in 19 verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up to the Lord and said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Anybody ever pushed you to that point? where you ready to say, I'll give half of what I got to the poor? And then, then if anybody says I've cheated them out of anything, I will pay them four times as much back. Can you imagine that? Listen to how Jesus responds. He says, today salvation has come to this house. It's not about how much money he gave. It's about that his heart was now in a place that he would give everything away for the cause of Christ and for the plight of those who were in needy. There was evidence of his faith, as James said. So what I want to do, just as we wind down today, is I want to share with you four or five. Well, I'm going to share with you a couple of different attitudes. First, of of radical generosity, and then we're going to finish up about the results that we get. So here's some of the attitudes that we need. Remember I said it's an attitude? So if it's an attitude, how, do we, how can we have this attitude? And if, I'm not going to go through all this, but at one point in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church. He's mentioning about a church in Macedonia. Any history buffs here? Anybody like history? Macedonia is famous. There was a guy there, it was ruled by a guy named Philip of Macedonia, and he had a son. His son's name was Alexander. Anybody knew who he was? He was really great. His name was Alexander the Great. So much. So this is in that area of Macedonia. They They had a lot of issues. They had a lot of needs. The apostle Paul started spreading the church there. And at this point, he's sending a letter because back home in the church in Jerusalem, there was a lot of persecution. There was financial struggles. And there was great stress in this area. So Paul asked the other churches to take up an offering for them. Let's take a collection for them. Now, the churches in Macedonia stepped right up and came up with this, even though they had their own issues. And the Apostle Paul says this in chapter eight, verses one and two. We want to know talking to the Corinthian church, what God's grace has accomplished to the church of Macedonia. You have been severely tested by the troubles they went through, but their joy was so great, they're extremely generous in their giving to help the church in Jerusalem, even though they themselves were desperately poor. Corinthian church is not giving, not connected. They're becoming very self-focused. They're having lots of issues back and forth, but the Macedonian church, who had the same issues and the same problems, the Macedonian churches were still focused on giving and meeting the need. In other words, Paul says, what's wrong with your generosity? Don't give me any excuses. Why? Because it comes to an attitude. Number one, radical generosity is enjoyable. You should like to give. I remember when I was a kid at Christmas, I had one thing on my mind. What am I going to get? And it better be good. Anybody ever had that family member that opens up something and said, what is this? I don't like this. That wasn't me. That was Jill. (laughs) Just joking. All right. It was actually my dad. Um, No, (laughs) no. But, but fathers, you get ties. it's okay. Um, but anyway, as I'm, as I'm looking at it, I wanted stuff. I would write out a list of what I want. I want this, I want that, you better bring it, I want, 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 want. And in many ways, we've taken that, that belief of Christmas and that idea of what we brought up in into our faith. What I want, what I want, what I want. Now at Christmas, one of the things I like to do, and one of the things, as, I, I like to get gifts that really make people like, Wow. Like one of the biggest challenges of my life was to get my grandmother something who was in her 80s and 90s, something that made her go, wow. Because guess what? At 80 and 90, you pretty much don't go wow about anything, right? She could buy anything she wanted. She had anything she needed. And I remember one time at college, she wanted a flashlight next to her bed. And I was able to get her like, you know, back, sorry, flashlights are things that like on your iPhones that you can look at for those of you who don't know. But a flashlight, and I was able to get her like one of the cop flashlights, at the mall, and I was so happy about giving her this flashlight. She was thrilled, and it was by her bed, and it was awesome. I wanted to give her something special. I got more out of giving her what made her happy. It was an attitude. I was excited about that. The Macedonian church had their issues. They weren't wealthy. They had persecution problems. They were existing during a time of the Roman government with Nero and others who were doing things like this. If they didn't die in the Colosseum, by fed to lions or by gladiators. They were nailed to a cross. They were tarred and lit with fire to illuminate the Appian Way or the Roman Road. And so in those days, you had issues if you were a Christian. But it didn't stop them from giving. And they gave out of their joy. And I gotta say one thing here. Because the danger in this type of series can make us feel like we're guilty, 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 guilty. That's not what I want to say. I want to brag on this church for a little bit. Because from the moment that we have started this church and from the moment that we have connected, this has been an extremely giving church. Before we ever had a place, we talked about doing a rotating shelter. Before we even had people, we started talking about serving at Parish Foundation. We started being involved. And for me, that is something that we all in this church need to be proud of. Because there are churches that have nice big bank accounts that are the stingiest things that have ever walked the face of the earth. And their reward will be exactly as the rich man when they hoard up for themselves. That's not me condemning another church. That's just applying the word of God. So I just want to brag on you and thank you for hearing the call to Christ in that. I want to follow that up by saying we can do more. We can do more. We're good in this area. We can be great in this area, and we can affect the world, and I truly believe that. You're awesome in so many ways. There is Monarch House that exists because of much of the people taking time and people giving of something themselves to make it happen. That is awesome. And you know what it comes through? Connecting with other churches despite what their denominations are. That is a novel idea that we might become the unified body of Christ. And so I am proud to be the pastor of this church when it comes to that. When it comes to those things. The mark of maturity is when you switch and begin to understand that there is a greater amount of joy in giving than getting. Radical generosity is enjoyable. Number two, radical generosity is supernatural. For I testify that I gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability. Sometimes when you give, I wanna take you to the little boy, it's not on the sheet, don't worry, just write it down somewhere. Um, The little boy, when they had 15,000 people who were hungry, it's easy. We would form a church committee and say, what do we have? Well, we only have this. We have that. Well, we can feed 100 here, and that's probably all we can do. Um, we can go there. What did they do? They said, all we got is this boy with his loaves and fish. Did you know that no one beat the little boy up and stole his fish and loaves? What did the little boy do? He gave everything he had, and it fed 15,000 plus and had left over. That's supernatural. When you give generously, God works supernaturally. When you gave tithe and offering today, I believe God took that $10, that $5, that $1,000 that you all put in the plate today, and God took it, and he supernaturally made something happen in it, so that when we see a direction where God is calling us, that he just may do something awesome and supernatural and make it happen. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. It happens, and it's awesome what God does. Your offering is a service that glorifies the Lord and shows your eagerness to help. So now, as we wind down, I'm gonna give you five very quick things that are in your bulletin. Everybody say yay. yay. All right. You're, you were lost there. You're like, uh-oh, he's off, he's off the Gelter. We're done now. We're here, we're here till noon. Tomorrow. Um, and so, and so, I wanna give you five things that happen, five results that happen from living generously. And if you get this stuff, this is where you get more than you give. Number one, why do I want to live a radical life of generosity? Because it increases my love for Jesus. When I begin to sit and see the people who are worse off than me, when I recognize that as I pack a shoebox or 10 or 20 or 100 shoeboxes and I put them together, that it may be making a hit in what I can get for Christmas for the people here. But when I'm putting it together, recognizing that may, not, that may be the only thing somebody receives and it may be the catalyst that God uses to have that person come to know him. All that other junk that I put away and lock in my basement and remove and throw away means nothing when I'm in the people business. Giving is an act of love, and as Christ gave his life for us, we also do the same. Look at what this verse of Scripture says. Just as you excel in everything else, guess what? You guys are, look at the person next to you and say, You're awesome in a lot of stuff. You excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, even in your love for us. See that you also excel in the grace of what? Giving. Excel in the grace of giving. Give so much that you're like, like people are like, stop giving me. You ever meet those people who just kind of give you stuff all the time? And you're like, stop. Because you said, st- stop. Be that. The Bible says, as I mentioned before, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Isn't it interesting that... We see it not only increases my love for Jesus, but it also makes me more like Jesus. One of the sad things about this story and Luke is that the man, the rich man, when he realizes in the torment and how he missed out on, on it, he said, please send somebody back to my brothers. Please send somebody back to my brothers. And the saddest verse, one well, of the saddest verses comes from Father Abraham that says, they had the law and the prophets. Even if somebody raises from the dead... They won't believe him, and that's a kind of a precursor saying, guess what Jesus is going to do? They still aren't going to get it. Am I, was he right? In our own world and community, Jesus rose from the dead, and people still don't get it to this day. Still don't get it. In verse 9 of 2 Corinthians, it says, You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Lord Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away in one stroke. He became poor, and we became rich by his act of love. He opened the kingdom for us. God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave his only son. God wants his children to be like him and learn to trust him generously because when we give, we also have to trust him as well. Number three, here's what it does. It deepens my faith. Look at the verse of scripture that we have here from chapter nine in 2 Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And then he says, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Woo! How many times do we have people when the offering plate's pass best way? Woo! Here! Bam! Yeah! How many of us go see the homeless person and say, here you go! Woo! Yeah! You know, running around. Woo! Yeah, come on. I'm gonna give some more. Right? How many of us do that in life? We don't. We don't. We think it's cheerful, it's like, I want you next week I'm going to test you. If somebody goes, woo, offering, yeah, I want to hear it. (laughs) I'm I'm going to forget it next week. I'm going to go, what the heck? All right. (laughs) God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, how many things? At all times, how many? Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God says, give to me and I'll make sure everything else is taken care of. Number four, it causes others to thank God. I always love the story of a lady who was very poor and she had prayed for groceries, had prayed for groceries. She had no food and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. She had a neighbor who was an atheist and he was like, what are you doing? Well, that's ridiculous. She's just praying for groceries. That's ridiculous. That's totally, absolutely, what, a, what an idiot. And so, has has no clue. So, she was out there one day. He heard on the porch, God, you know, I'm on, on the last part of what I have, and please, God, provide. So, the atheist said, hey, I want to have some fun with her. So, he went ahead to the grocery store. He bought several bags of groceries. He put them on the front of the porch and rang the doorbell, and she came out, and she goes,
3: oh, thank you,
1: God, you provided for me. Oh, thank you, God, I knew you would. And he said, ha, it wasn't God, it was me. Now, what do you say about your God? And she said, no, God provided. He just used the devil to do it. You <laughs> See, God makes it happen. She got the groceries, right? It's awesome. Many people thank God. When you are generous with people, it causes people to thank God. In verses 11 and 12, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God for this service you perform not only meets the needs of God's people, but also provides the outpouring of gratitude to God. Normal generosity is not spirit-led. Radical generosity is that God gets glorified and thanked in it. And the last thing, it honors God as a witness in the world. Every time you share with God your energy, your life, your words, people say, Why are they doing this? Because of our love for God. You will glorify God through this generous act of service because your commitment to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and because of his generosity. Why do we do things? Because of him. So I'm going to finish this with a couple challenges today. I want to challenge you in word and thought. This year I'm going deeper. I'm gonna go ahead and not be a shallow believer. I'm not gonna be a casual believer. I'm not gonna be a wimpy believer. I'm not gonna be, I'm gonna be a spiritual man or woman of God that is gonna to, going to dig deep. Do you know the term radical comes from a Greek term called radicales, which means roots. God wants us to be deeply rooted. I want you to commit to start praying, to ask God, how can I reach more? How can I be there for those? How can I give more? How can I be more generous in my life? And then I want you to take action. Take action in the world. I've got a shirt on today that I wanted to share something with you and show you very quickly, if I can find um, my sheet here. But it's a shirt right here from a group called Rafa House Ministry. And Rafa House deals with sex slavery. And there are estimates that there are 20 to 30 million people in the world that are now involved in slavery the average age most of them tend to be females and the average age tends to be about 12 or 13 years of age as i look at these numbers i realize that it's easy for me because i don't have to watch it i can turn the channel and i can live my life but i can tell you if it was my daughter i would do absolutely anything i could to number one, get her back. Number two, stop it. And number three, have them pay who does this. As the church, as I read the scriptures, they are my daughters. They belong to my daddy. And my daddy says, stop hanging out in where everything's good for you. That's great, but use what you have to change it. Do you know that Atlanta is one of the highest areas of sex trafficking in the world? Atlanta. We're not talking about in Indonesia or Thailand. Oh, they've got their problems. We're talking about Atlanta, Georgia. You don't hear that from any politician about a problem, do you? You don't see that on the front page of every single paper, We play with other kinds of things that in the grand scheme don't ultimately affect somebody's life. Millions and millions of young women in this world are being robbed from their childhood, being addicted, being stolen, and being placed into brothels. And there's people that, like Rafa House Ministry, that put their life on the line to go rescue people, pull them out, and put them in an area to teach them how to sew and to do things so that they can make money. They actually have armed guards around the place so that these people can be safe. We're talking teenagers. We're talking about middle school kids. Meanwhile, Jack gets in his car, goes from point A to point B, and does not think about it. There is something wrong there because guess what? Jack is the rich man. Jack's the rich man. Now, I want to tell you the biggest thing I want to share with you today. If you're guilty, throw it out because guilt does not come from God. If anybody is ever guilty about something, it's because of your own sin uh, or because of uh, Satan is usually there saying, look what you did, look what you did. Don't ever attribute guilt to God. I'm tired of the church causing God to be guilty. But what he will do is call us to arms in action. And I really, really would love to do. There's some things I want to do, and I'm going to share very briefly here as the praise team comes up. I believe that God wants us to start a church, not here in this country, elsewhere, in a place where it may not be acceptable for a church. I want to help support those Christians. This face is ugly enough, you can get it online, you don't need it somewhere else. I believe that God wants us to step in to the realm and boldly com- combat, whether it's finances, whether it's action, no matter what we have to do, the sex slave industry. Because I don't want my daughter or anybody else's daughter in that situation. And I'm not Liam Neeson. Think about it. I believe God wants us to be the church he's called us to be. I want him, and, and you know what? I want God to make us different than every other church. I want God to make us a church that sees a need and fills it. And we'll say, supernaturally make something happen, God. I know this doesn't feel good sermon. I know it. I dealt with it all week. You just have to deal with it for this time and you can forget about it. I hope we don't. I hope we don't. I want to tell you, I love you and God loves you immensely. Do not let the enemy guilt you. Do not let him tell you uh, all these other kind of things, but let him open your heart to a need in this world. You can pick and choose anyone you want. There's plenty of them. I'm going to challenge this week. I know in the next two weeks, our small groups are meeting. And I'm going to tell you, not only as a church uh, do I want you to do this, I want you as your small groups to say, how can we impact the world for Jesus Christ? What gates are he sending us to that have Lazarus at him? And how can we, our small group, gathering other people, doing whatever we need to make an impact? You are here for a fleeting bit. Remember that? You're just and gone. What impact can you make for God in this world? I think it's awesome if we could do that, don't you? Wouldn't you love to one day have a young girl stand here who at the point we're giving this message right now, we are going to pray for God and say, God, reach her, reach her through the ministry of this church. And wouldn't you love her to come here and say, I just want to tell you it's because of what you did in your prayers that I'm no longer in that life, that I've been rescued. It's real. It's real. It's real. She may be right down in the land of Georgia right now. I don't know how to finish this except to say simply that God loves you. God loves you so much. And He wants us to be so motivated for those that He loves. As I look around the room, I don't see a a helpless group of people. I see Mother Teresa everywhere. I see a woman who was so generous that she gave everything she had. Everything of her life. If you're looking to me to be the strength, I will tell you I will be weak. But I need you to help me. I need you to help me and step out. I need to step out of my own comfort zone. I need to step out of things uh, and re re-look at my life and look at everything, all for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. I don't know when I'm going to die, but I know how Christ wants me to live. I truly hope we embrace that. I believe the youth group can make a connection and attack. I don't know what to say except get up. As we close this message today, the altar's open and we've got people there to pray for you, but also I want you to be gathering together as one. If you're with us online today, I'm not saying give, 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 give money. I'm saying make an influence. Give of your lives. Be generous. When you leave here, you see somebody who cuts you off on the road, don't give them sign language that's inappropriate. Go ahead and give them generosity. Maybe somebody just needs to know the love of Christ in this world. There's a lot of people in need. So come, the altar's open for you. He loves you and he wants to utilize you in amazing ways. Waiting here for him, but he's also there's many people out there waiting for us. And so I just um, pray that you're going to have an awesome week this week, and I pray that God will have many gates for you to walk by and see Lazarus, and um, be able to do more than just uh, the rich man did in order to help and just to reach out there. All right, next week, last week, last week of radical uh, series, and because um, uh, I've been beaten up enough trying to come up with these sermon series. Um, I know we went over a lot today, but there's some stuff I I was wrestling through and I figured I wanted to help you as well. Next week, we're going to finish this up by radical abandonment, radical abandonment. So I hope that you'll be ready to join us. Have an awesome Labor Day and say hey to somebody. All right.